When I think about maximizing the impact of learning and development experiences, it's so easy to go to top of mind classic strategies like setting clear learning goals or active participation. But if you really wanna take your learning and development to the next level, it's so critical to speak to a passionate and energetic learning and development leader, such as Devin Hasty of Anheuser-Busch. Join us now on the Return on Intelligence podcast as we dive deep into concepts such as training versus learning, confidence versus competence. And what really blows me away is how the Anheuser-Busch leadership empowers its administrators, leaders, and learners by granting them permission to think differently. Welcome to our show, Devin. Hey, Al, how are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to talk about maximizing the impact of learning and development experiences with you. And uh, I really want to talk about Brew U. That's uh, quite an exciting um, platform that you've set up. And we've talked about it in the past about how successful that is. But I think before we get there, I'd really like to talk about your background and, and um, really give us an introduction of yourself as a leader and a learner and even your history uh, at Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, that's uh, it's always easy easy to talk about yourself out. So that's uh, something I think I can do. I appreciate that. No, excited to be here and to and to join you on the podcast today. Um, you know, as the director of commercial learning for Anheuser Busch, I feel like you know if I give a rewind into um, you know my passions, I think about my job is actually the intersection of three of my passions, and beer first and foremost, most people's passion, right, Al? Um, yes. beer, but also education and sales. And I think my, my experience in, uh, at AB really started 23 years ago, uh, as a summer sales rep. And I learned about this opportunity of, you know, being a salesperson as you grow up, I, you know, my guide, my high school guidance counselor would always tell you, you can be a doctor or a lawyer. My guidance counselor was telling me I could be a teacher. So I obviously just really leaned into that and I pursued teaching. Um, as a profession, but then discovered this idea of selling beer for a living. So I like to think about my role today is just that intersection of those three passions for me. That's great. And so when you were when you were a rep, like was there a sales enablement program or were you kind of just thrown to the wolves? And and what time frame are we talking about? Yes, circa yeah, circa two thousand. I'm dating myself, so that's uh, I don't know if we should go there. But uh, yeah, circa 2000, as they started out in, uh, you know, in the sales process um, or the selling program, we, we had a very intricate selling, uh, selling development program. And I think about it today as I, I feel like I came in with a lot of, you know, raw talent from a sales perspective, but I look back to some of those principles um, and some of those ideologies even um, then and how they're still applicable today. Like selling a box of beer in the year 2001 isn't much different than year 2022. Uh, the environment and the industry has changed, but the capabilities and the skill sets are still very similar. And I feel like, you know, I've been able to bring that learning, that experience to my role. So I'm less of a teacher or a facilitator and more of a practitioner in the work that I do. Sure, sure. And and being that facilitator and, you know, director of learning, um, for, for your commercial, you know, learning and development, do you, do you lean on your experiences as a learner or, or are you, you know, reinventing yourself, uh, consistently as, as the years go by? I, yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think back to, you know, I, that high school guidance counselor that told Devin, he could be a teacher and uh, I actually pursued teacher's college 
and I, I talk about this a lot is I didn't learn to teach when I went to teacher's college. I actually learned to learn. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest skill sets in a learning and development role is to always be learning and be agile. Like you think about the way that we traditionally have learned, we'll spend tens of thousands of hours in a traditional classroom. And then as the world's changed, and even as we had to pivot for COVID, we had to adapt real quickly to meet the learners where they're at, Al, right? And we, we often were driving curriculums and driving the narrative on development. And then things changed. And we learned pretty quickly that we have to adapt to meet learners where they're at versus, you know, us trying to tell everybody what they need to learn all the time. Right. Yeah, so important. Um, you know, I remember uh, a lot of my learning opp or teaching opportunities have been in sales enablement. And so, you know, we kind of have a, we can strike a chord there in, in the fact that it sounds like your beginnings were, you know, experiencing sales enablement and then perhaps working on that, you know, as a, a sales, you know, leader or a, a development leader in, in your role. But, you know, I, I've learned a lot from sports in my life and, and uh, you know, I can tell you at times as a, a sales leader in my, my previous role, I was overwhelming learners and, and I can fall on that sword quite easily. Um, but it was really a, you know, kind of a, a moment in a, a dressing room with some 12 and 13 year olds that, that taught me that I was doing that. I can remember it succinctly. We, we had, it was, I was the beginning of my lacrosse coaching career and, and, you know, I had the brass tacks, I had the competency to do it, but you know, I filled this little whiteboard. It was probably two feet by three feet for my pregame chat with, it was basically full <laughs> 17 points or, you know, these are 12 and 13 year old, uh, boys trying to play lacrosse at, you know, the, the Bantam age. And, and, uh, I gave my pregame speech and I thought, man, we are prepared. We're, we're going to go out there. And, you know, we fell flat of course. And, and it was just too much message. Right. And, uh, I've learned over the years that, you know, creating those bite-sized learning opportunities, you know, in, in the sporting environment, well, it translates to business and, and it's been quite successful for myself. Do you have similar experiences? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny that you use that example because I think very similar for me is, uh, you know, I actually left teaching. So I taught grade seven for a short time out and I left teaching. And when I left, but, you know, my both my mom and dad were teachers and my dad sat me down and said, are you sure you want to do this, dad? And, you know, when I was looking at dad, I said, dad, you know what? It, I thought it'd be more like coaching, right? I actually learned that I was a pretty terrible teacher. Uh, because teaching and having curriculums and teaching to, you know, um, uh, the, the rubric, if you will, was just wasn't for me. I was more designed to be a coach. So very similar to you is, you know, I've coached competitive sports since I was 16 years old. But then when I started to have my own children, I learned I have house leaguers. So and I, I, I always I said to my wife, um, I said, no, I'm not going to coach our kids. I'm going to let them have another coach. And that lasted for about a year right? Sitting on the sidelines and watching somebody else be successful or not successful. And I, I said to myself, can't complain if I'm not willing to do it myself. And I leaned into coaching house league sports and that was a quick lesson learned. But I really believe that I think, and I feel like I'm successful in my role today. And I feel like a lot of that success has come from the learning and the trial and error on how to coach kids on fundamentals, keeping it fun, and allowing them to progress to whether the next year or the next level. Yeah, that's great. And and I can personally say there's nothing more rewarding actually than coaching your children or seeing other children succeed in sport. It's just awesome. 
And, um, but it's not much different out. It's not much different than the business world, right? And I, 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 when I start to compare the two, it's like as leaders and coaches, if we're only coaching to the result, right, the annual target, so we can put that trophy, right, the sports trophy on our vehicle and say we won, are we truly doing what we need to do? It comes down to the Simon Sinek conversation about the finite game versus the infinite game. And the one thing I've learned about kids in house league sports and, you know, people, humans in, in business is that it doesn't end with the season. It doesn't end with a championship because it repeats itself the next year. So really, if we start to think about, are we doing the things to, to enable human potential, right? The results and the career growth is an output of their potential versus us trying to coach, train, develop to the results. Yeah, that's great. That, that really is great. So to change, you know, to just change focus a little bit here in our discussion, can can we discuss the, you know, I know the feature audiences, your focus at, at Anheuser-Busch, but if you could share with our audience who you're educating, and, and then I'd really like to talk about BrewU. It's just fascinating. Yeah, that's, that, it's, uh, it's my privilege to, to get the opportunity at Anheuser-Busch in North America, if you will, to engage with a couple of different customers, if you will. And I talked about my sales experience. You have your customer that's pretty, you know, clear cut. But as I started to consider in my role today, who my customers are, it really breaks down into, you know, three groups. I have our Canada sales population internally, right? The Labatt Breweries team. I have the the U.S. sales population, the Anheuser-Busch team. But we work in a wholesaler network, a three-tiered system in the U.S. So I'm also responsible for the development of 400 independent companies there are salespeople who are wholesaler network that literally are selling and delivering our beer every day. Wow. So 400 wholesalers. And would that be the, you know, how many users would that, you know, would, would be made up by 400, you know, wholesalers? Yeah. Inside, uh, inside that we're, we're anywhere between 25 and 35,000, you know, independent learners that are in the network, depending on the ebbs and the flows of things. Um, and it really makes it challenging when you think about, you know, we're operating a, a service, if you will. Uh, we're delivering a value to these wholesalers based on, you know, equity agreements and, and excellence programs that's important to them. And we don't have, we're not touching the final product all the time, right? We need, we're, we're creating the curriculums, we're creating the content, but at the end of the day, we're not engaging directly with the learners. It's the general training admins. So we have one of those at each of these 400 locations. We're engaging with them quite regularly because they have the end touch, the end communication with those 25 to 35,000 users. Wow, that's impressive. And would BrewU can be considered like a legacy program or what was the evolution of BrewU and, and what, what are its beginnings? Yeah, BrewU is long before I was into role, which is, you know, circa 2013, Al, but with BrewU, we've had this relationship with our wholesalers for, for many, many years. Um, and really, one of our biggest opportunities um, was to create more value, right? We actually, we, we, look for, um, uh, we look for feedback every year. So we have a voice of a wholesaler survey, which is much like an NPS survey that goes out. And you know, my first couple of years in role, that NPS was actually going the wrong way. The line was getting, you know, we were over 90% uh, approval. And then we started to dip, dip below that 90%. So we had this BrewU legacy, but obviously it wasn't meeting the needs of our wholesalers anymore. So we needed to make some changes. 
and we were very intentional about those changes that we needed to make. And so when you say that you identified changes, you know, what was it about the program that you, you felt you needed to change to maximize impact with your learners? Yeah. So a lot of the time, you know, there, we started to look at it from two perspectives, Al. So there was the, the learner experience or the, the user experience. That's the people that are diving into using the platform and consuming the content that's there. But also there, there was the admin, I started to call it, I call it the AX now. There was the admin experience that uh, we needed to elevate as well. Because if you think about, you know, we have to provide value to those, both those customers, the user and the administrator, because we're, again, not engaging with that frontline individual. So we needed to make sure that it was easy for them uh, to get into a platform, to adapt and personalize platforms as they saw fit as well to engage their own learners. I'm really fascinated by BrewU. So I, I, I want to continue this discussion. It's it's amazing. Um so when you say you have up to 35,000 users, how many would you say are administrators or have some level of administrative access? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, we generally, we have one for wholesalers. Sometimes there's two. Um, and then we have a very small team on our side. Like we only have two or three on our side that are acting as admins um, or the master admins. So of that 25 to 35,000, we're really talking about 450 people tops um, at most, really. Great. So with, with BrewU, um, and maybe even in discussing your Canadian and U.S. sales teams, like what challenges or opportunities do you see that differ amongst those three distinct user groups? Yeah, I think when we think about the challenges, the biggest challenge that's consistent across all three is time. Everybody's time starves. And I think if we start to think of L&D as, um, as, no, as a resource, it tends to be the resource that gets the least amount of time. So being able to be nimble and agile and meet learners where they're at. So they're consuming stuff that's actually important that interrupts their busy routine. So they're going to lean into something they need to develop is the biggest opportunity for us. And then I think as you start to think about it, it's maturity levels. So um, in Canada, it's a, a little different route to market. So we're a little more mature in the and the, the way we go to market from like a business development rep standpoint. So we're not taking orders. We're actually acting as consultants. In the U.S., our sales teams are interacting with the wholesalers. So they're bringing a full commercial lens to the, to the table. So they're talking about revenue and they're talking about sales and they're talking about marketing. And then in our wholesaler network, really... Is it's it's very legacy. Is you've got some individuals that have spilled more beer uh, than I ever sold, right? Or have you know a lot of these guys and girls have actually been selling beer longer than I've been alive. So you start to think about those different interactions and how we can actually engage these learners through web-based content, which we call self-led content. How do we engage them to be motivated to lean into something that they need uh, when they need it? Yeah, for sure. And so with these different learner groups, like how do you find yourself iterating um, on these learner pathways? Are they different? And, and you know, the challenge is always to keep people focused or interested, motivated in, in what they're learning are, you know, the learning is. Um, so how, how do you iterate on these learning pathways? And, and, you know, what's the frequency of review, I guess, is, is one of the questions I have. Yeah. So we are, um, I'll, I'll take the frequency of review. So we review our full concepts every year. We start in... Um, September, October, and we start to look at what we deliver to our customers um, and we review it. So sometimes we keep 
Sometimes we we change. Sometimes we retire content. Um, so we're we're looking at it every year. And then how do we adapt for the learner? I think was one of the biggest opportunities that Absorb gave us um, was how we could actually make it a little more personalized. So in the past, we used to do certifications and recertifications. And even in that, you know, the feedback, that NPS feedback, we heard that the recertifications were very repetitive. And if you, if you learn like I do, the last thing you want to do is have to go through something again. Um, so what we did is we... We, we had the ability with the, the Absorb platform to, to change Brew to be more of a certification. So think of that as certifying people on skills or speed to competency. Here's what people to know, need to know early to be able to do their job and then get into this continuing education idea where we started to offer skills and capabilities badges. So people, as they get feedback from their managers, they get coaching from their leaders they're able to lean into something that's a little more personalized for their learning journey and choose something that's going to help them in their job versus doing something that I, sitting in an ivory tower, think they need to learn to be a, a salesperson. Right. And so when you're when you're looking at these learner pathways and and um, just your approach at Brew U, you know, it's something you and I have talked about in the past, but it, the confidence versus competence equation. and And how do you feel... You know what? What does each have in the role of of pushing? You know the maximal impact of of these learning issues. Yeah, and I think to to discuss that, I think is really if we start to think about us as learning professionals, how we deliver or traditionally have delivered, we've often talked about delivery as web based and instructor led. Um, often we even forget about this idea of experiences that people need to have, but even the coaching that that really is the binder to the blended learning experience. So for us, as we start to look at, you know, web-based training, we look at it as self-led training. So basically that's what web-based is, is how can you lean in on your own time, your own capacity and consume, uh, consume knowledge and or skill-based content to help yourself. Then the instructor-led piece, and we learned this in COVID, you know, is virtual can be, virtual instructor-led can be quite, uh, quite impactful. So what we learned was that, you know, is bringing leaders into doing virtual sessions, people that are maybe subject matter experts um, can be quite impactful by doing it virtually. And then instructor led as we get back coming out of some of the COVID stuff, uh, we're really focusing on how we can leverage experts and some of the workshops to kind of encourage people on the confidence side. So if you think about self-led and web-based is really about competence, it's knowledge and maybe a little bit of skills. Um, that people need to learn about. But then as we evolve into the virtual leader-led or expert-led, it's really about confidence and how we can actually start to embed confidence for people to apply these new, this newfound knowledge or these newfound skills in their job or in their real life. Yeah, that's, it's so true. And, and when, you, when you mention um, leader-led, do you have programs to train the trainer or how are you identifying which leaders or is it everyone as a leader is responsible to train? Like, what is your approach there? Yeah, we, so it depends on the situation, right? Because sometimes people um, mix the communication for training. So we try to basically separate that. So leaders are responsible for their own communication. But as we, you know, through our people cycle, we're always looking at skill sets and, and, and expertise. So as we look at that, we try to go to the subject matter experts when we have a need in the business and identify that expert. And then really, I'm not, um, 
you know, I'm not a learning design specialist. I act as a learning consultant for the most part. So we do have a train that we do have train the trainer programs. Uh, we actually are working on a coaching certification, which is the same similar skills um, that you need to be a, 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 an effective facilitator. And then I do a lot of coaching and consulting with experts to prepare them to meet these moments where we're delivering virtually led expert led content. Um, well, I can share, I can share a, like when we talk about expert led, there was a time in, in space four or five years ago as, as absorb was scaling and, and we had to, we had to really create a, a sales playbook. Like we started expanding our sales team and, and we really had no standards of approach people found their own way out of the forest in sales and, and it was a sink or swim environment, but we had to change that to scale. And so you, you start drawing up a playbook and, and trying to get a sales team to shift. And there are challenges there. And, um, especially when you've got a successful sales team trying to push the buy-in on, on the sales enablement process you're, you're looking to enable. And it wasn't until I found a, an expert as, as you call them. And, and we had an in-person expert-led session with a gentleman named Hamish, Hamish Knox of Sandler here in Calgary. It was like a light bulb switched on on my sales teams. And, and they would come back to me and tell me with confidence, your word, the confidence in, in his ability to show them the pathway, you know, down these sales enablement playbook um, items and just the, the normal approach Sandler had with, with sales. It was really almost awe-inspiring. And, and I have to say, like, game-changing. You know, I, I engaged Hamish long-term because it, it was almost like being a football coach who's been around too long. You know, they were tired of my speech, but Hamish brought new ideas, a different approach, complete excitement to the process. And, and as an expert-led session, I, I honestly can tell you that was the most successful thing we ever did uh, in our sales. Like, do you have a similar uh, aha moment, I guess I would say? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's probably two aha moments, to be honest, Al. And I think about like, that's a really good example with Hamish on how sometimes we realize things by accident. So there's the two things that I think I would point out is this idea of training versus learning. And, you know, is in the past, you know, when I, I my role used to be called the, the, the commercial training manager. And now we're intentional about using the word learning because in the world that we work in, in the skills and capabilities we work in, is you can't train people to sell a case of beer, right? You can train people on the processes. You can train people on some of the skills and capabilities. But at the end of the day, there's decision-making that has to go in. And I use an example like objection handling. If I could sit here and train everybody to handle every objection, right, we wouldn't need salespeople because we could just train somebody to handle all the objections. What's the, what's the best rebuttal you could have that everybody's going to buy? So it's really with like this idea of you can train somebody in our breweries on, you know, what's the steps or what's the processes to operate a machine. But when we get into like selling and some of the, some of these like professions that require decision-making and adapting and, um, and overcoming that it's really about learning. And it really provoked this idea of, you know, when we, when we evolve from training to learning is about setting the boundaries. Somebody once asked me is what's your biggest fear? And, you know, we're all going to answer like snakes or bridges or something that scares the heck out of you. Right. And then I asked, uh, I asked this person, I said, what's your biggest fear? And they said, a puzzle of a blue sky. Why would a puzzle of a blue sky be scared? Don't know where to start. Right. 
And so he said, and I, he said, yeah, I don't know where to start. And he said, where, if you, you know, if you had a puzzle, the blue sky, where would you start? And I said, the edges, which is an appropriate answer. He said, there's a more appropriate answer. It's actually the corners. Why? Because you're setting your boundaries. So for me, it was this really revelation of, from a development perspective, how do we set boundaries? We can't solve everybody's problems, but we can certainly start to build the four corners of the puzzle which will allow people to start to lean in and see which pieces of the puzzle do I need to be able to complete this. Oh, that's a great story. Really great. Yeah. And then the second one for me is really the confidence versus confidence conversation we're having out, right? And this was a real, we, we backed into that one by accident. But again, when COVID happened, uh, we were lucky enough that our organization didn't lay people off. And I talked about one of our biggest challenges being time, right? Capacity. And people had a little bit more time and capacity and L and D became the coolest kids on the block then, right? Hey, we've got some time. What do you have for us learning and development team? So it was kind of cool to be important and we weren't prepared. So we we pivoted quickly. Uh, we went out, we asked teams, Hey, so yeah, you've got some time for learning. What do you want to learn? And one of our teams came back and said, change management. We need change management training. Uh, we're, we're not good at it. So what did we do? We spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, maybe even a bit of money creating some change management training, went out and did it. But in the meantime, we were already in conversations with the Josh Burson Academy and we were able to get their skill, their, their HR skill assessment. And we put the same group of people that we asked, Hey, what do you want for training through the assessment? And the Josh Burson assessment came back and said, Hey, your group is actually well above average on change management. And that's when we learned that our team had the skills and the knowledge for change for change management, but they lacked the confidence for change management. And that's when we had to start to design learning experiences that allowed people to become more confident in a safe environment. So when they went out to the real life scenarios, they were able to apply the knowledge and skills they already had. So Devin, let's switch gears here and and talk about like how does your learning and development group empower administrators, leaders? and or learners, um, you know, within brew you. Yeah, that's a really good question, Al. And if there's two things that stand out for me specific to how we empower admins or leaders, it really is communication uh, is one. And the second one, permission to think differently. And to tackle this, I'll kind of go with communication first is, you know, as we really leaned into the, the feedback from our wholesalers, right, those 400 um, GTAs or general training admins, the one thing that we learned is we had to, when we started to increase the platform so that the UX was better and the AX or the admin experience was better, we needed to increase our communication. We were communicate, we we're sharing information through emails and newsletters, and we know how people read those. It's probably the 80-20 rule, right? 20 of them read it, 80% delete it. Um, so we weren't necessarily leveling the playing field on information. So for us, the empowerment was really about something a simple idea where we implemented these weekly open door sessions. And it was really one hour standard time. We picked a standard day. We invited our, our GTAs to attend those meetings. And we basically built the agenda off the things that we were hearing um, from them saying these were problems. We were building the agenda. We were tackling them in a face-to-face -face environment. And people could ask questions. And we saw the confidence level of our administrators rise quite quickly. And to the point where we're now able to have like a general session and an advanced session. So some of our admins that are a little more competent and a little more confident can come and ask some of the higher end questions 
and some of our, our newcomers or our less experienced admins can lean into the, 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 the essentials or the basic details. That's great. And so what's the timing on these one-on-ones like within someone's work week? Like what's the optimal timing for those one-on-ones do you feel? Yeah. And we've had to play with that. And I think that's the thing that we've learned is in communication is meet the, the person you're trying to communicate where they're at. Uh, we, again, we standardize. So we, we used to think Mondays and Fridays were great, but those tend to get bunged up by meetings. They get, you know, people's calendars are full. Uh, we moved to a Thursday and then we had a lot of people saying, Hey, we can't make Thursdays that Wednesday afternoons were, were best. So we basically do one o'clock on Wednesdays where it's always at one o'clock on Wednesdays. Sometimes we'll have 15 people. Sometimes we'll have 90 people show up, but it was really uh, interesting to see that as we changed uh, the timing to meet them where they're at, how many, how much more engagement we were able to drive. And just for the listeners, are you recording these sessions and then distributing them? You know what? We tried you that. track them. Yeah, no, we we thought of, we thought about that and we did it. And then, you know, we had feedback saying, yeah, like I'm sitting through a meeting. It doesn't make sense. So we actually tried it and it did. It wasn't effective. It was actually a waste of our time to do so that uh, there's some repetition that will show up in some of these meetings because of that. But we found that if our intention was to, uh, you know, walk people through things face to face, then we wanted to walk people through things face to face. Got it. Got it. And then you mentioned permission to think differently. And so why is that important to the empowerment? Yeah, I think it's a tradition. I think L and D becomes very traditional in a lot of organizations out. And as we start to think differently, we needed to give our, you know, our clients, our customers, the permission to think differently. And I'll use an example is like what it really means. So um, again, it's, it kind of comes back to setting the boundaries, right? Setting the four corners so people can complete the puzzle conversation. But we had some route to market changes. So the way that we were engaging with our wholesalers, we had a significant change. Um, and the individuals in those roles, like it was a responsibility bump, you know, it was a really positive bump for them. But as we listened to feedback early on in those changes, people were saying to us, well, we don't know what's different. We don't know what we're doing differently. And as we were preparing, you know, some, some developments some learning, some training and development, uh, content, we were working with our, our CEO and working with our CEO, he had his mind set on, this is how we need to do this. And this is what we need to tell people to do. And our realization at that point with Brendan was Brendan, we actually don't need to tell them what to do, right? We've already laid that out and they're confused. We actually need to give them permission to think differently and then give them the four corners of the puzzle. So, and we were very like, literally you have to stand up here and say, I'm giving you permission to think differently. And here's the three or four items that I'm giving you permission to think differently on. And we came out of that like one day virtual training and people were like, Hey, now I know what I'm supposed to do. And Hey, now I know things are different. And it was a really cool experience. So we've learned that we need to give our admins and we need to give our leaders permission to think differently that, Hey, when you come to us. You, you know, you don't need to come with a solution. What you need to come is with an open mind. And we actually implemented a, uh, implemented a process that we call the 4K assessment. And it's a needs assessment that will go through with people that are looking for development opportunities, even if they think they know what they need to work on. And we'll walk them through this process that's essentially um, asking them, hey, what do you need to know? What do you need to understand? And the example there is, if I'm in sales, I maybe need to know what a PL is. I don't need to understand a PL. We're not, we're not, you know, the finance team. 
but they might need to understand the things that we do, how the things we do impact our retailer or our customers PNL. So what do you need to know? What do you need to understand? What should you be doing? Right. And that's a really a, an interesting conversation when we ask people what they should be doing and then who are you becoming? And when we ask those four questions, it really opens people's minds to think differently about what the end solution might be that they need for their teams or their individuals for development. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so you have the CEO giving your leaders the permission to think differently in this learning and development environment. And so the, the next, you know, the natural question that comes to mind is, you know, what is the role of leadership in maximizing these learning experiences within BrewU? Yeah, I, I think leadership is the most important to building culture. And I think if you start to think from a development perspective, every organization probably says in their, in their mission statements that we strive to have a learning culture, or we might even strive to have a coaching culture. But I would say in my 10 plus years of experience in learning and development in corporate America and Canada is um, creating those cultures is super hard. And I, I often joke about this idea that people think that L&D is learning and development is boarding school. I could take my individuals, I could drop them off. You know, if, imagine a world where if you could take your baby somewhere and drop them off and they came back to you toilet trained and they could already eat solids, how easy parenting would be out. It would make life a lot different. And I think a lot of organizations treat the L&D team as that boarding school. Here, you take them, you do all this stuff, and then give them back to me when they're ready to go. And then well, I could do amazing things with, you know, the talent. And that's just not the way that the world works. Like, you need leader engagement to, you know, create space for the teams to learn. That's the one thing is if leaders don't buy in, um, learning and development isn't always about dollars and cents, right? It's about time and commitment. How do we find these other resources? And that was one of the, like the permission to think differently to people is we don't have to spend money on external vendors, et cetera, to do things effectively, but you need to create the time and the space or potentially even provide some time and space for subject matter experts to lean in, which was really important. And then I think from a leadership perspective is, you know, balancing leaders. If leaders understand your programs that, or understand the programs that their employees are going through, it connects a lot better. So if you're going to train somebody on, you know, a skill or a capability, but you're not going to incorporate it back into your feedback models or your coaching models, there's going to be a disconnection. So we need to make sure that our leaders understand the things that we're doing to develop our teams so they can bring that into the natural evolution of coaching and feedback. That's just as important to learning and development as web-based modules and, and, you know, expert-led workshops, if you will. Right. And so when you're developing, you know, these experiences, um, you know, you've got leaders who have got permission to think differently. You've got leaders who've um, walked the walk, so to speak, or have, you know, tremendous amounts of empathy, it sounds like. Are you in your design thinking or focusing on learner backgrounds or learning styles, you know, within BrewU? Yeah, it's something that I would say, to be completely honest, we haven't been great at, but we're evolving into and I'll use an example. I was out doing an instructor-led event with a wholesaler just recently, and we were doing an exercise, a breakout exercise that was pretty simple, pretty clear. And the individual said to me, you know, this individual had been, again, selling beer longer than I've been alive. He said to me, Dev, I don't get it, right? I don't get it. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? 
So it, you know, the teacher in me said, okay, here, let me mimic with another individual, how this is going to work. Right. So I mimicked it with him and I said, okay, are you good now? And he was like, no, actually I'm not. And I actually had, so he wasn't a visual or an auditory learner. He actually was a tactical learner. So I actually had to change my process to go through the exercise one-on-one -on -one with him. And when we left that, he's like, oh, wow. And there was some really good awareness or some really good revelations. So I think as we create more time and space to be thoughtful about that stuff, we're getting better. You know, we're using stuff like, um, we're using stuff where, you know, if we're doing virtual that we can turn on uh, subtitles so that, you know, if we have people that don't have English as a first language, they have the subtitles or they have the transcript they can go through later. Um, we're trying to do more and more of that, um, which is, is helping. And then as we start to think about how you adapt for learner styles, it really, really is important. We're evolving our model into be, you know, the old 70, 2010 rule, right? 70% experiential, 20% um, coaching and mentoring, 10% formal, and really thinking it more about the blended environment of what needs to be self-led, what needs to be leader-led, what needs to be expert-led. And then how does coaching underpine all this? How do we bring coaching into the development process? Because at the end of the day, it's about awareness, go and learn something, get feedback, re-go re, re through the cycle. So it's really about how do we personalize, um, how do we personalize for people when you're dealing with so many people is difficult, but we are, we're trying to make adaptations to get there. Oh. Great, great. Well, Devin, I really want to thank you for joining me today. This has been just an incredible discussion um, on maximizing impact of learning, you know, experiences. You know, we've touched on things like value creation, trust. We had that great confidence versus competence discussion. And I have to say that, you know, it's obvious to me that Anheuser-Busch has a very thoughtful um, learning environment. So I'm just going to ask you, what would your final bit of advice for folks who are trying to maximize impact you know, within L and D, what would that be? And I don't know if this is, uh, this is probably my own experience, but where I've seen, um, things become effective and the advice that I would give to other organizations is think differently about the people that you're putting into L and D roles. And what I mean by that is often, you know, as we even look for, you know, the opportunity to get into corporate learning and development. A lot of the rules require instructional design, et cetera, et cetera. But when we look at our own organization, we're, we're not facilitators and instructional designers. Um, I happen to have went to teacher's college and, and happened to, you know, fall into sales, but really is we're hiring practitioners. So as the director of, of commercial learning, I grew up my first 13 years in the organization in sales. So I'm bringing a, a mix of, Hey, what I've learned, but also my own experiences and applying it back to as, as the world's changing, but also our director of supply has grown up in the supply, the supply chain. So this is somebody who's been in logistics and brewing locations on the shop floor learning. And even our director of, um, of leadership development is an individual that came from higher education. He came to us from the outside, but, uh, had, had kind of cut his teeth, if you will, um, developing leaders in universities. And that, that the, the, the way that, that we approach things is a little more practical and it's a little more from experience than bringing somebody coming in saying, here's the process or the, the, the SOP to develop training for people. Wow, that's great advice. 
So again, Devin, thank you so much. Um, I've really enjoyed our time together and I, I hope we speak again soon. Thanks, Al. Really appreciate you.